Section 18 of Holidays at Roselands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin. Holidays at Roselands by Martha Finley. Chapter 13, Part 1. Chapter 13. Joy, the lost one is restored. Sunshine comes to hearth and board. Mrs. Hemans, O oh, remembrance, why dost thou open all my wounds again? Lee's Theodosis, I am a fool to weep at what I am glad of. Shack's Tempest, but these are tears of joy to see you thus, has filled my eyes with more delight than they can hold. Congreve Mr. Dinsmore was roused from the painful reverie into which he had fallen by a light rap on his dressing-room door, and, supposing it to be some one, sent to consult him concerning the necessary arrangements for the funeral, he rose and opened it at once, showing to the doctor, who stood there, such grief-stricken countenance as caused him to hesitate whether to communicate his glad tidings without some previous preparation, lest the sudden reaction from such despairing grief to joy so intense should be too great for the father to bear. You wish to speak to me about the— Mr. Dinsmore's voice was husky and low, and he paused, unable to finish his sentence. Come in, doctor, he said. It is very kind in you, and— Mr. Dinsmore, said the doctor, interrupting him, are you prepared for good news? Can you bear it, my dear sir? Mr. Dinsmore caught at the furniture for support and gasped for breath. "'What is it?' he asked hoarsely. "'Good news,' I said. Dr. Barton hastened to say, as he sprang to his side to prevent him from falling, "'Your child yet lives, and though her life still hangs by a thread, the crisis is past, and I have some hope that she may recover.' "'Thank God! Thank God!' exclaimed the father, sinking into a seat, and burying his face in his hands. He sobbed aloud. The doctor went out and closed the door softly and Horace Dinsmore, falling upon his knees, poured out his thanksgivings, and then and there consecrated himself with all his talents and possessions to the service of that God who had so mercifully spared to him his heart's best treasure. Adelaide's joy and thankfulness were scarcely less than his, when to her also the glad and wondrous tidings were communicated, and Mr. Trevalia and his mother shared their happiness as they had shared their sorrow. Yet they all rejoiced with trembling, for that little life was still for many days trembling in the balance, and to the father's anxiety was also added the heavy trial of being excluded from her room. The physician had early informed him that it would be risking her life for him to enter her presence until she should herself inquire for him as they could not tell how great might be the agitation it would cause her. And so he waited, day after day, hoping for the summons, but constantly doomed to disappointment, for even after she had become strong enough to look about her and ask questions, and to notice her friends with a gentle smile and a word of thanks to each, several days passed away, and she had neither inquired for him nor even once so much as mentioned his name. It seemed passing strange, and the thought that perhaps his cruelty had so estranged her from him that she no longer cared for his presence or his love caused him many a bitter pang, 
and at times rendered him so desperate that, but for the doctor's repeated warnings, he would have ended this torturing suspense by going to her and begging to hear from her own lips whether she had indeed ceased to love him. Adelaide tried to comfort and encourage him to wait patiently, but she, too, thought it very strange, and began to have vague fears that something was wrong with her little niece. She wondered that Dr. Barton treated the matter so lightly. But then, thought she, he has no idea how strongly the child was attached to her father, and therefore her strange silence on the subject does not strike him as it does us. I will ask if I may not venture to mention Horrence to her. But when she put the question, the doctor shook his head. No, he said, better let her broach the subject herself. It will be much the safer plan. Adelaide reluctantly acquiesced to his decision, for she was growing almost as impatient as her brother. But fortunately she was not kept much longer in suspense. The next day Elsie, who had been lying for some time wide awake but without speaking, suddenly asked, "'Aunt Adelaide, have you heard from Miss Allison since she went away?' "'Yes, dear, a number of times,' replied her aunt, much surprised at the question. "'Once since you were taken sick, and she was very sorry to hear of your illness.' "'Dear Miss Rose, how I want to see her,' murmured the little girl musingly. "'Aunt Adelaide,' she asked quickly, "'has there been any letter from Papa since I have been sick?' "'Yes, dear,' said Adelaide, beginning to tremble a little. "'One, but it was written before he heard of your illness.' "'Did he say when he would sail for America, Aunt Adelaide?' she asked eagerly. "'No, dear,' replied her aunt becoming still more alarmed, for she feared the child was losing her reason. "'Oh, Aunt Adelaide, do you think he will ever come home? Shall I ever see him? And do you think he will love me?' moaned the little girl. "'I am sure he does love you, darling, for indeed he mentions you very affectionately in his letters,' Adelaide said, bending down to kiss the little pale cheek. "'Now go to sleep, dear child,' she added. I am afraid you have been talking quite too much, for you are very weak yet. Elsie was, in fact, quite exhausted, and closing her eyes, fell asleep directly. Then, resigning her place to Chloe, Adelaide stole softly from the room, and seeking her brother, repeated to him all that had just passed between Elsie and herself. She simply told her story, keeping her doubts and fears confined to her own breast, but she watched him closely to see if he shared them. He listened at first eagerly, then sat with folded arms and head bent down, so that she could not see his face. Then, rising up hastily, he paced the floor to and fro with rapid strides, sighing heavily to himself. "'Oh, Adelaide, Adelaide!' he exclaimed, suddenly pausing before her. "'Are my sins thus to be visited on my innocent child? Better death a thousand times!' and sinking, shuddering into a seat, he covered his face with his hands and groaned aloud. "'Don't be so distressed, dear brother. I am sure it cannot be so bad as you think,' whispered Adelaide, passing her arm around his neck and kissing him softly. She looks bright enough, and seems to perfectly understand all that is said to her. "'Dr. Barton,' announced Pompey, throwing open the door of the parlor where they were sitting. Mr. Dinsmore rose hastily to greet him. 
"'What is the matter? Is anything wrong with my patient?' he asked hurriedly, looking from one to the other, and noticing the signs of unusual emotion in each face. "'Tell him, Adelaide,' entreated her brother, turning away his head to hide his feelings. Adelaide repeated her story, not without showing considerable emotion, though she did not mention the nature of their fears. "'Don't be alarmed,' said the physician cheerfully. "'She is not losing her mind, as I see you both fear.' It is simply a failure of memory for the time being. She has been fearfully ill, and the mind at present partakes of the weakness of the body. But I hope ere long to see them both grow strong together. Let me see. Miss Allison left when? A year ago last April, I think you said, Miss Adelaide? And this is October. Ah, well, the little girl has only lost about a year and a half from her life, and it is altogether likely she will recover it. But even supposing she does not, it is no great matter after all. Mr. Dinsmore looked unspeakably relieved, and Adelaide hardly less so. "'And this gives you one advantage, Mr. Dinsmore,' continued the doctor, looking smilingly at him. "'You can now go to her as soon as Miss Adelaide has cautiously broken to her the news of your arrival.' When Elsie waked— Adelaide cautiously communicated to her the tidings that her father had landed in America in safety and health, and hoped to be with them in a day or two. A faint tinge of color came to the little girl's cheek, her eyes sparkled, and clasping her little thin hands together she exclaimed, "'Oh, can it really be true that I shall see my own dear father? And do you think he will love me, Aunt Adelaide?' "'Yes, indeed, darling. He says he loves you dearly and longs to have you in his arms.' Elsie's eyes filled with happy tears. "'Now you must try to be very calm, darling, and not let the good news hurt you,' said her aunt kindly, "'for I am afraid the doctor will say you are not well enough to see your papa when he comes.' "'I will try to be very quiet,' replied the little girl, "'but, oh, I hope he will come soon, and that the doctor will let me see him.' "'I shall read to you now, dear,' remarked Adelaide, taking up Elsie's little Bible, which had been returned to her some days before, for she had asked for it almost as soon as she was able to speak. Adelaide opened to one of her favorite passages in Isaiah, and read in a low, quiet tone that soon soothed the little one to sleep. "'Has my papa come?' was her first question on awaking. "'Do you think you are strong enough to see him?' asked Adelaide, smiling. "'Oh, yes, Aunt Adelaide. Is he here?' she inquired, beginning to tremble with agitation. "'I am afraid you are not strong enough yet,' said Adelaide doubtfully. "'You are trembling very much.' "'Dear Aunt Adelaide, I will try to be very calm. Do let me see him,' she urged beseechingly. "'It won't hurt me half so much as to be kept waiting.' "'Yes, Adelaide, she is right, my precious child. They shall keep us apart no longer.' And Elsie was gently raised in her father's arms, and folded to his beating heart. She looked up eagerly into his face. It was full of the tenderest love and pity. "'Papa! Papa! My own Papa!' she murmured, dropping her head upon his breast. He held her for some moments, caressing her silently, then laid her gently down upon her pillow, and sat by her side with one little hand held fast in his. She raised her large, soft eyes, all dim with tears, to his face. "'Do you love me, my own papa?' she asked in a voice so low and weak he could scarcely catch the words. "'Better than life,' he said, his voice trembling with emotion. 
and he leaned over her, passing his hand caressingly over her face. "'Does my little daughter love me?' he asked. "'Oh, so very, very much,' she said, and closing her eyes wearily, she fell asleep again. And now Mr. Dinsmore was constantly with his little girl. She could scarcely bear to have him out of her sight, but clung to him with the fondest affection, which he fully returned, and he never willingly left her for an hour. She seemed to have entirely forgotten their first meeting, and everything which had occurred since, up to the beginning of her illness, and always talked to her father as though they had but just begun their acquaintance, and it was with feelings half pleasurable, half painful, that he listened to her. It was certainly a relief to have her so unconscious of their estrangement, and yet such an utter failure of memory distressed him with fears of permanent and serious injury to her intellect, and thus it was, with mingled hope and dread, that he looked forward to the fulfillment of the doctor's prophecy that her memory would return. She was growing stronger, so that she was able to be moved from her bed to a couch during the day, and when she was very weary of lying, her father would take her in his arms and carry her back and forth, or, seating himself in a large rocking chair, soothe her to sleep on his breast, holding her there for hours, never caring for the aching of his arms, but really enjoying the consciousness that he was adding to her comfort by suffering a little himself. Mrs. Travilla had some time since found it absolutely necessary to give her personal attention to her own household, and Adelaide, quite worn out with nursing, needed rest. And so, with a little help from Chloe, Mr. Dinsmore took the whole care of his little girl, mixing and administering her medicines with his own hand, giving her her food, soothing her in her hours of restlessness, reading, talking, singing to her, exerting all his powers for her entertainment, and never weary of waiting upon her. He watched by her couch night and day, only now and then snatching a few hours of sleep on a sofa in her room, while the faithful old nurse took his place by her side. One day he had been reading to Elsie while she lay on her sofa. Presently he closed the book, and looking at her, noticed that her eyes were fixed upon his face with a troubled expression. "'What is it, dearest?' he asked. "'Papa,' she said in a doubtful, hesitating way, "'it seems as if I had seen you before. Have I, Papa?' "'Why, surely, darling,' he answered, trying to laugh, though he trembled inwardly. "'I have been with you for nearly two weeks, and you have seen me every day.' "'No, Papa, but I mean before. Did I dream that you gave me a doll once? Were you ever vexed with me?' "'Oh, Papa, help me to think,' she said in a troubled, anxious tone, rubbing her hand across her forehead as she spoke. "'Don't try to think, darling,' he replied cheerfully as he raised her, shook up her pillows, and settled her more comfortably on them. "'I am not in the least vexed with you. There is nothing wrong, and I love you very, very dearly. So shut your eyes and try to go to sleep.' She looked only half satisfied, but closed her eyes as he bade her, and was soon asleep. She seemed thoughtful and absent all the rest of the day, every now and then fixing the same troubled, questioning look on him, and it was quite impossible to interest her in any subject for more than a few moments at a time. 
That night, for the first time, he went to his own room, leaving her entirely in Chloe's care. He had watched by her after she was put in bed for the night until she had fallen asleep, but he left her feeling a little anxious, for the same troubled look was on her face as though even in sleep memory was reasserting her sway. When he entered her room again in the morning, although it was still early, he found her already dressed for the day in a pretty, loose wrapper upon the sofa. "'Good morning, little daughter. You are quite an early bird to-day for a sick one,' he said gaily. But as he drew near, he was surprised and pained to see that she was trembling very much, and that her eyes were red with weeping. "'What is it, dearest?' he asked, bending over her in tender solicitude. "'What ails, my little one?' "'Oh, Papa,' she said, bursting into tears, "'I remember it all now. Are you angry with me yet?' And must I go away from you as soon as— But she was unable to finish her sentence. He had knelt down by her side, and now raising her gently up, and laying her head against his breast, he kissed her tenderly, saying in a moved tone, in the beautiful words of Ruth the Moabitess, The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part me and thee. He paused a moment, as if unable to proceed, then— in tones tremulous with emotion, said, "'Elsie, my dear, my darling daughter, "'I have been a very cruel father to you. "'I have most shamefully abused my authority, "'but never again will I require you to do anything "'contrary to the teachings of God's word. "'Will you forgive your father, dearest, "'for all he has made you suffer?' "'Dear Papa, don't. "'Oh, please don't say such words to me,' she said. "'I cannot bear to hear them. "'You had a right to do whatever you pleased with your own child.' "'No, daughter, not to force you to disobey God,' he answered with deep solemnity. "'I have learned to look upon you now, not as absolutely my own, "'but as belonging first to him, and only lent to me for a time, "'and I know that I will have to give an account of my stewardship.' He paused a moment, then went on. Elsie, darling, your prayers for me have been answered. Your father has learned to know and love Jesus, and has consecrated to his service the remainder of his days. And now, dear one, we are traveling the same road at last. Her happiness was too deep for words, for anything but tears, and putting her little arms around his neck, she sobbed out her joy and gratitude upon his breast. Aunt Chloe had gone down to the kitchen immediately upon Mr. Dinsmore's entrance to prepare Elsie's breakfast, and so they were quite alone. He held her to his heart for a moment, then kissing away her tears, laid her gently back upon her pillow again, and took up the Bible which lay beside her. "'I have learned to love it almost as well as you do, dearest,' he said. "'Shall we read together, as you and Miss Rose used to do long ago?' Her glad look was answer enough and opening to one of her favorite passages, he read it in his deep, rich voice, while she lay listening, with a full heart, to the dearly loved words which sounded sweeter than ever before. He closed the book. He had taken one of her little hands in his ere he began to read, and still holding it fast in a close, loving grasp, he knelt down and prayed. He thanked God for their spared lives, and especially for the recovery of his dear little one, who had so lately been tottering upon the very verge of the grave, and his voice trembled with emotion as he alluded to that time of trial 
and confessed that it was undeserved mercy to him, for he had been most unfaithful in his trust. And then he asked for grace and wisdom to guide and guard her, and train her up all right, both by precept and example. He confessed that he had been all his days a wanderer from the right path, and that if left to himself he never would have sought it, but thanked God that he had been led by the gracious influences of the Holy Spirit to turn his feet into that straight and narrow way, and he prayed that he might be kept from ever turning aside again into the broad road, and that he and his little girl might now walk hand in hand together on their journey to the celestial city. Elsie's heart swelled with emotion, and glad tears rained down her cheeks. And thus, for the first time, she heard her father's voice in prayer. It was the happiest hour she had ever known. "'Take me, Papa, please,' she begged, holding out her hands to him as he rose from his knees, and drawing his chair close to her couch, sat down by her side. He took her in his arms, and she laid her head on his breast again, saying, I am so happy, so very happy. Dear Papa, it is worth all the sickness and everything else that I have suffered. He only answered with a kiss. Will you read and pray with me every morning, Papa? she asked. Yes, darling, he said, and when we get into our own home, we will call in the servants morning and evening and have family worship. Shall you like that? Very much, Papa. Oh, how nice it will be. "'And will we go soon to our own home, Papa?' she asked eagerly. "'Just as soon as you are well enough to be moved, dearest. "'But here is Aunt Chloe with your breakfast, so now we must stop talking and let you eat.' "'May I talk a little more now, Papa?' she asked when she had done eating. "'Yes, a little, if it is anything of importance,' he answered smilingly. "'I wanted to say that I think our new home is very, very lovely, "'and that I think we shall be so happy there.' Dear Papa, you were so very kind to furnish those pretty rooms for me. Thank you very much, she said, pressing his hand to her lips. I will try to be so good and obedient that you will never regret having spent so much money and taken so much trouble for me. I know you will, daughter. You have always been a dutiful child, he said tenderly, and I shall never regret anything that adds to your happiness. And will you do all that you said in that letter, Papa? "'Will you teach me yourself?' she asked eagerly. "'If you wish it, my pet, but if you prefer a governess, "'I will try to get one who will be more kind and patient than Miss Day. "'One thing is certain, she shall never teach you again.' "'Oh, no, Papa, please teach me yourself. "'I will try to be very good and not give you much trouble,' she said coaxingly. "'I will,' he said with a smile. "'The doctor thinks that in a day or two you may be able to take a short ride.' and I hope it will not be very long before we will be in our own home. Now, I am going to wrap you up and carry you to my dressing-room to spend the day, for I know you are tired of this room. How pleasant! she exclaimed. How kind you are to think of it, Papa! I feel as glad as I used to when I was going to take a long ride on my pony. He smiled on her a pleased, affectionate smile, and bade Chloe go and see if the room was in order for them. Chloe returned almost immediately to say that all was in readiness, and Elsie was then raised in her father's strong arms, and borne quickly through the hall and into the dressing-room, where she was laid upon a sofa and propped up with pillows. She looked very comfortable, and very glad she was to have a little change of scene, after her long confinement to one room. Just as she was fairly settled in her new quarters, the breakfast-bell rang, and her father left her in Chloe's care for a few moments 
while he went down to take his meal. "'I have brought you a visitor, Elsie,' he said when he returned. She looked up, and to her surprise saw her grandfather standing near the door. He came forward then, and taking the little thin hand she held out to him, he stooped and kissed her cheek. "'I am sorry to see you looking so ill, my dear,' he said, not without a touch of feeling in his tone. "'But I hope you will get well very fast now.' "'Yes, Grandpa, thank you. I am a great deal better than I was,' she answered, with a tear in her eye, for it was the first caress she ever remembered having received from him, and she felt quite touched. "'Have the others come, Grandpa?' she asked. "'Yes, my dear. They are all at home now, and I think Laura will be coming to speak to you presently.' She has been quite anxious to see you. "'Don't let her come until afternoon, father, if you please,' said his son, looking anxiously at his little girl. "'Elsie cannot bear much yet, and I see she is beginning to look exhausted already.' And he laid his finger on her pulse. "'I shall caution her on the subject,' replied his father, turning to leave the room. Then to Elsie, "'You had better go to sleep now, child. Sleep and eat all you can, and get strong fast.' "'Yes, sir,' she said faintly, closing her eyes with a weary look. Her father placed her more comfortably on the pillows, smoothed the cover, and closed the blinds to shut out the sunlight, and sat down to watch her while she slept. End of Chapter 13, Part 1